good to be with you this morning. And I, and I have to say right from the start that this is a, a very strange experience, me standing here and actually uh, talking to you while you're at home. Uh, but really, the reality is that uh, the experiences that uh, I'm feeling right now are nothing, really. They fade into insignificance with those experiences of uh, men and women, families, young, old, children who are really facing some challenges right now um, with unemployment, uh, paying bills, uh, getting those bank uh, loans uh, paid. There's certainly a season of uncertainty. Uh, there's sickness, there's isolation and the, the prospect of loneliness. And so uh, with that in mind, I really want to uh, start this morning by asking a question. And uh, feel free as you're watching this, perhaps you'd like to make use of the comments on the, on the right-hand side on, on your screen um, as a way of engaging with others around this following question. How do you express to God what you feel? How do you express to God what you feel? I'm asking this question because for me, the, the answer or, or the hope that I have in, in, in being able to answer this uh, is from a biblical point of view, is actually found in the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms, the book of Psalms gives us a, a glimpse as to how this might work, particularly in the season that we find ourselves in around the world, but also locally here in Launceston, Tassie as well. So with the Psalms, we can begin by simply saying that the Psalms are familiar to us. Even if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, you, you will have heard of Psalm. Psalms are, are read at weddings, they're read at funerals as well, uh, they're read at child dedications or even memorial services, at graduations or even around the dinner table. Uh, we're familiar with some of these Psalms. Psalms 23, for example, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me. Beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. Or what about Psalm 139? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Or what about Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, Praise his holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And uh, we mustn't forget Jesus himself as we're gearing up for Easter and remembering what Jesus did on the cross. He, as he hung on the cross, on his deathbed, so to speak, he calls out um, by saying these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that really is actually in reference to Psalm 22. So Jesus, on his deathbed, was quoting a psalm. So psalms are unique in, in, in our Bible. They're, they're different to any other book that we find in our, in our Christian scriptures. And there are at least three things that are different about the psalms. The first one is that the, the order of communication has been reversed. So in, in, instead of having God speaking to his people, particularly in the Old Testament, the psalm reverses this. And it's actually a collection of poems, of songs uh, written in Hebrew that, um, that communicate uh, what the author is experiencing to God. So the, the communication has been reversed. It's humanity talking to God. The second point is that the psalms are emotional. There's no hiding this. As soon as you start reading, you realize that it's not so much about theology as it is about expressing emotions and how we feel 
in the state that we're in. Um, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff, it all goes up to God in words and expressions. And the surprise for us is that God takes this. He can take it. And uh, he's not surprised by the way in which we feel or the psalmist feels about certain things. And so we have this sense of hope in the psalms that God can hear what we have to say, even if it sounds shocking or confronting, God seems to be waiting, ready to hear it. And the third point is that psalm, the psalms invite us to consider where we are now. It's all about the present. Yes, uh, the psalms were written a long time ago. They were written in a different language, in a different time, in a different context to our own. But they somehow re remain relevant uh, in our context because they mirror our lives. There's, some, there's a reflection that's going on. When I'm reading the Psalms, I can see myself in the words that the psalmist is, uh, is speaking. And uh, this is what Matthew Jacobi, the, the, the singer and the songwriter for, for Psalms of Korah, um, says about the Psalms. The Psalms show us how to begin where we are. We are not expected to begin with some heightened state of spiritual ecstasy. We can and must begin where we are. What we need is not a heavenly spirituality, but an earthly spirituality that captures the present tension between what we have already and what remains unfulfilled. What we have already and what remains unfulfilled. And so I want to suggest this morning that Christians all over the world are the ones who are called to live in this present tension that Matthew is talking about, Matthew Jacobi. We know that Jesus um, has done, we know what he's done through his life and death on the cross, but we also know that God's story is not yet complete. And this is the, the, the tension that we live in. God's story began in creation with Adam and Eve in the garden, um, and this is where the physical, the spiritual, and the social dimensions um, work together. They came together. They were fused together perfectly. And at the end of this process of creating, God says it was all good. But then humans' disobedience, humanities walk away from God. Humanities are drifting away from God. And the introduction of sin means that this order, these dimensions are broken. The physical, the spiritual, and the social aspects of our lives are now shattered, and we wait for the day where God will establish what the Bible talks about, one day coming, a new heaven and a new earth. And so we have a glimmer of what this looks like, and the glimmer is found really in the life of Jesus, and we have this in the Gospels and in the letters that follow, written by Paul and others. The kingdom of God is near. It's not some distant thing that we somehow will get to, but rather through Jesus, uh, there is a sense in which heaven or this new kingdom is already here and is already being played out in different ways. And so we have hope and faith for the future because of Jesus, but at the same time, we realize that everything is not okay. And that really is the, is the, is the title for, for our message this morning. Everything is not okay. And we may live in the assumption that everything is okay, and we may even reorient our lives in order to cover up the things that aren't okay. But are we willing right now in our season to accept that things are not okay? And so this tension that I'm talking about, the, the, the present and the things that are yet to come, is probably best expressed through this concept 
of crucifixion and resurrection. And um, this, this, really, uh, lend, this is a lens uh, with which we can uh, read the Psalms, but not only the Psalms, also our lives, how we see our lives. Crucifixion and resurrection are held in tension. And so what I want to do is read Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. And uh, you may like to uh, do that yourself as well as you're watching this. Just simply use Google and punch in Philippians um, 2 and then colon 6 to 11. And you'll get, uh, say, a, a reference to Bible Gateway. And there you'll find the, the passage. So this is Paul writing to an ancient people uh, in his time uh, called uh, the Philippians who lived in Philippi. And at one point in his, in his letter, in his epistle, he, he breaks into this kind of song that, that maybe it was familiar to them, but it was certainly familiar to Paul. And these are the verses that we read in that section. And this is talking about um, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it goes on to say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus' crucifixion, and his resurrection shapes the way we see ourselves in terms of orientation, disorientation, and then new orientation. And so for the past 10 days, as uh, all of us have been paying attention to the news and the decisions that have been made around us, or maybe you've had to make some of those tough decisions yourself, really the, the, the weight of the message that I've been carrying is that today as the church... As believers all around the world, not just here in Launceston, in Tassie, but all around the world, we find ourselves edging closer and closer to a state of disorientation. And this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us because Jesus not only asked his followers to consider the cost of following Jesus, but he himself follows his own example of life, of death, and of resurrection. And if we use Philippians as a, as a blueprint, we, we see this uh, in terms of the language of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. And we see that Jesus' orientation is captured in verse 6, who being in very nature God, he is firm in his identity. But then comes this sense of disorientation followed in, in verse 7 in Philippians chapter 2. He made himself nothing. He willingly undertook what nobody else could do, and that's put himself in a dangerous position for the sake of something greater. And then out of this disorientation, there's this new orientation. And this is captured a few verses later in verse 9. God exalted him to the highest place. So in our Christian faith, we enact this movement. Um, we, 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 we go through this process, this transition um, from the old to the new in, in the form of baptism. And this is just a Christian teaching that, that we've, uh, we've implemented and has been in place for many thousands of years as uh, uh, Jesus did it himself. And uh, Paul, again, he's writing to the Romans this time and we see these, uh, 
this, um, uh, this statement of baptism in, uh, in verse 4 of chapter 6 in Romans. We were therefore buried with him, that's Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. So in baptism, what we're doing is we're losing control of our lives. We're doing this willingly. We give up the privilege to be kings and queens of our worlds. This, uh, this disorientation, we, we're, we're, we're giving up something that we ought to hold dear to us. And we do this so that we may experience a new kind of life, a life that God promises through Jesus. And this is the season of new orientation. So I mention all of this because Jesus' example means that you can't bypass this orientation, which is why we live in the tension that deep loss and amazing gift are held together. Deep loss on one hand and this amazing gift on the other are held together. And Paul at one point says, even again to the Philippians earlier in, in his letter, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We would argue that Paul knew this very well. He knows that in order to receive the new life that Christ promises, he needs to go through disorientation. He needs to understand and live in the same way that Jesus did through pain. So I'm going to put it in a different way. I can't express Jesus' truth to the world around me unless I know how to go through pain how to go through grief, how to go through loss in the same way that Jesus did. I can't tell the world how to do that if I'm not willing to do that myself. And so this is where the Psalms of disorientation come in. If Psalms are uh, expressions, if they are communicating to God, if they carry this weight of, of the burden that, we, uh, that we're trying to express through words, then it shouldn't surprise us that the majority of the Psalms are sad the majority of the psalms are dark. Uh, in fact, I think it's two-thirds of the psalms are described as laments, which is another word for um, complaints. And so these psalms of negativity, these complaints, these cries for vengeance, these, uh, this profound penitence that we find in the psalms are, find, are foundational to life of faith in God. Theologian uh, Walter Brueggemann says that we have censored and worked around issues of darkness and disorientation, seeking to go from strength to strength, from victory uh, to victory. However, the Psalms, that's not the image that we get from the Psalms. We can't just keep getting better and better. It's, it, it's just not there. That's not what life is about. It's contrary not only to the Psalms, but it's contrary to our experience as well. You know that life doesn't go as planned. I know that life brings up things that are surprising and shocking and awful. And this season that we're in is, is a testament to that. Just because you're a believer, just because you're a Christian, just because you have faith in God doesn't mean that He's not going to take you through some challenges. And I'll come to that in just a minute. Yes, we can say that the Psalms are full of hope. They are. But it's rooted, this hope is rooted in the midst of loss and darkness where God is present. This is where God is. 
Remember what Matthew Jacobi from Sons of Korah said, the Psalms are about where we are in the present. That's where we start. And in that present, in that pain, that's where we see God. That's where we find God. So I would argue that the Psalms are inherently countercultural. Um, culture wants to deny and cover the darkness. Any pain or any suffering we want to do away with, and Australians in particular are notorious for this. In terms of world rankings as to how we um, experience pain and suffering, Australia is one of the top countries in terms of avoiding pain. We don't know how to deal with pain and suffering. Other cultures do it slightly better than we do. We don't like it and we run from it. We cover it up. We try and avoid it. However, in this pain, this is where darkness is calling. This is where we are called to enter into that space that's uncomfortable. The reason we can face and, and live in such darkness is not because of my strength, not because of my gifts or the abilities that I have. The reason I can do this is because there is one who's been there before. And uh, John chapter 1 uh, captures this uh, concept of light and darkness in amazing ways. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, God has promised to be in the darkness with us. Darkness is strangely transformed because of God, because of Him, because of Jesus Christ. And so we can land on this conclusion that the Psalms don't permit us to ignore and deny darkness. When we read the Psalms, we are drawn into that space. We are called to engage with it. If you don't um, want to read the Psalms, then you miss out on that big picture that in the darkness is a relationship that's possible with God. In the darkness, that's where life can be birthed, a new kind of life. And so when we think of our human life, and perhaps rather than thinking of light, life, I mean, maybe we can think about our hearts our human hearts. Um, it consists of seasons of well-being. There's no denying that. And in the seasons of well-being, there's, there's gratitude that comes forward. Uh, there is, uh, we are thankful because God blesses us and we put words to that. And so do the Psalms. And this is where we find the Psalms of orientation. They articulate joy and delight, goodness, reliability on God and His creation, God's law. And uh, an example of this is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. But unfortunately, our lives, our hearts also go through some pain, go through hurt, alienation. They go through suffering and even death. Psalms of disorientation carry themes of rage, of resentment, um, self-pity, of hatred. And uh, we have lots of examples. Psalm 88 says this, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. How about Psalm 6? 
Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. And this is where we find a new season in life. Uh, this is where perhaps there are moments where we're surprised by uh, new gifts that God um, gives us and we're overwhelmed. And this is where we find psalms of new orientation that speak of these gifts and they affirm that God is sovereign. But, also, but life is also about the movement between these, these phases of orientation, disorientation and new orientation. And we could describe these, these, um, these transition as moves of faith. And uh, w- what I'm getting to is that uh, when you are in a season of orientation and there is a transition that's taking place into a season of disorientation, what God requires of us, as Jesus did, is to accept that we're transitioning, that we're moving into this new um, space of darkness and of pain and of suffering that is coming. So as we enter this season of disorientation, we want to resist it. Like I said, in our culture, we resist this. We resist the, the, the pain that, that will come. But in, instead of resisting, we are called to step into. And that stepping is certainly uh, requires a whole lot of faith. I wonder what our story would be if Jesus um, resisted that pain that was coming to him when he went to the cross before uh, the cross before the pain began he was in the in the garden of gethsemane and he was pleading with god please don't let me go through this that's what the psalms are capturing this pain this angst i don't want to go through this so i wonder what our story would have been if he would have said god i can't do this i don't want to i don't want to do this i'm going back so faith means that as we step into disorientation we know God will meet us where we are. We know this to be true. This will be God's chance to reveal something new about himself, but also we will know something new about ourselves that we would otherwise not be able to see. Let me say that again. Faith means that as we step into this orientation, God will meet us where we are. And it's in this place where God reveals something about himself that we couldn't see before. It's in this place where we learn something new that he's teaching us that we would otherwise not been able to to learn if we hadn't gone through this pain. And so I'm aware that I'm speaking to to Christians, but uh, maybe you're you're not a follower of Jesus at this point, and uh, maybe you're asking some questions about God during this time of uncertainty. Um, maybe you're asking questions about life. Maybe the security that we had in place, the things that you were working towards are, are slowly falling apart and you're asking a new set of questions. So in this season of uncertainty, I would encourage you, turn to the Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, just Google uh, the Psalms and read through some of the Psalms and detect uh, what you can read and what you can see from God in the words that have been spoken. And maybe there's a sense in which you can relate to some of those songs, those prayers, those, those poems. And so as we finish, I just want to ask you another question. 
How are you going to step into the darkness with faith? How are you going to do that? What steps will you be making from now on as things keep changing day to day, hour to hour, it seems? What things can you be doing right now to get ready or to step now into that season of disorientation? What faith do you need to do that? Just before I finish by reading Psalm 121, I, 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 I want to offer a caution. And um, really, this is, this is for uh, Christians that um, uh, are watching this. And um, uh, I want you to pay close attention to the words that you use when engaging online with others through, through the season that we're in with COVID-19 and everything that's happening. Um, particularly like Facebook, for example. In our state of disorientation, our Christian character, or if you want to use another word like our Christ-likeness, needs to shine the brightest in order that we can convey um, what God is doing uh, in the world. So all the sarcastic comments, all the negativity that you project um, in your Christian faith um, is not necessarily going to be all that helpful. And in our darkness, don't remind people how terrible things are. They don't need reminder of that. In our Christ-likeness, our task in the season that we're in is to remind them of how reliable God is. I wonder if you want to take up that challenge, especially as we engage online more and more these days. So as we finish, I just want to read a psalm as a, as a final prayer. And maybe you'd like to search for this. Maybe you've got a Bible or maybe do a Google search. And the psalm is Psalm 121. And there are eight verses. And it says this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore.